Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Mark Santum. Uh, well, good morning. Hey, it's, uh, it's 2019, and here's some good news. We are moving forward as a church in faith. And uh, that is some great, great news. And Pastor Steve and I were exploring ways to help do that from, uh, from a sermon series perspective. And so... What we decided to do is this. We have, what, what, and I, one thing I love about KPC, we have a long-standing uh, preaching tradition of uh, preaching expositorily. You pick a book of the Bible and you go through it. The first um, 18 months for the book of Romans, it wasn't that long. Uh, and hopefully it didn't seem that long. But it's good. It's, it's good to get the whole counsel of God when you do that. But, you know, but we're going to mix up a little bit for next uh, four weeks uh, we are going to do a topical sermon series that uh, Steve and I uh, will tag team. So uh, we're going we're to live on the edge a little bit, all right? We're going to mix it up. It's going to be good. Um, one thing we're going to do, though, is we're going to take one passage of Scripture from the book of Hebrews, and we are going to use that as a springboard for all four of these messages. So um, for as awesome as it would be to dive into a 22-week series uh, in the book of Hebrews, that might be down the road. We won't do that just yet. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a uh, four-week journey on uh, a sermon series, as you can see on the screen, called The Things We Leave Behind. The Things We Leave Behind. So here's the deal. Um, before I read this passage in Hebrews 12, all of you that are familiar with the scriptures know full well uh, what's written in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, known as the Great Hall of Faith. The author spends the whole chapter praising the forward-moving faith of people like Noah and Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Gideon, and Rahab. Then chapter 12, the baton gets passed to us because we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. It's our turn to run our leg of the race of faith. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, let me, uh, let me read that for you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the races marked out for us, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this time in your word. Uh, Holy Spirit, just come. Would you illuminate truth to us? Would you lead us today? Lord, we understand that you have invited us to this privilege of running this race of faith in your kingdom for your glory with one another. Lord, we pray that you would help us to do that well. Help us to do that well, God. Inspire us, and most of all, convince us that in order to do that well, there are some things that we do need to leave behind. So Holy Spirit, come today and uh, magnify the person of Jesus uh, through the glory of your written word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Now, if we are to move forward in this marathon of faith, notice I didn't say the sprint of faith, right? Um, There are things that we must, not that we should, that we must leave behind. How many, how many runners do we have in here? Can I see your hands? All right. Let me open the gate a little bit. How many former runners do we have in here? All right, there we go. Pointing at myself. Hello. Hello, tendonitis. Thank you for the gift of the treadmill. All right. So 
If you are a runner and you've ever been in a race, um, how many of you ever run a race with somebody that just was just flat out slower than you? All right. How many have been that slower person? Okay. <laughs> I see those hands all over. Um, so you really have two choices, right? You can, you can leave them in the dust if you are the stronger runner, or you can hang back a little bit and you can encourage them, push them to, to run stronger, faster, and longer. But what if while they were running, what if you noticed well, that while they were running, they had a heavy backpack on? He said, hey, you ready to run this race? And you would look at them like, what are you doing? Who gets ready to run a marathon or a half marathon with a heavy backpack on their back? Who would do that besides Greg Flick? I don't know. Well, the point is, you would look at them and say, why are you running with this heavy backpack on? And, you know, you could look and you may find yourself, too, thinking, boy, I am running with things that are making it really hard to run this race well. And so the writer of Hebrews remind us that if we are going to run this race well, then we need to, and I'm quoting, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Here are three things that we need to leave behind, things that are either distracting, things that are toxic, or things that are sinful. Distracting, toxic, or sinful. And sometimes, um, sometimes we're a combination of those three things, am I right? So, when you think of the things that are distracting this world, like our smartphones, like Netflix, like video games, like shopping, like our work can be, none of those things inherently evil, but they can become distractions, can't they? Things that are toxic, like codependent relationships, addictions to some substance, or a resignation to live a life of anxiety or depression. Or they may be sinful things, like slander, stealing, bitterness, lust, unforgiveness, the list can go on and on and on. So Steve and I pray and say, Lord, what are four things that we feel the church needs to leave behind as we go to move forward on this race of faith in 2019? So uh, after a lot of prayer, we did narrow it down to four. And so I'm going to tackle the first one today. If we are going to run the race of faith, one thing that we must leave behind, church. I'm going to pull this back for a second. One thing that we must leave behind. Shame. It's a heavy word, isn't it? You feel like I feel heaviness coming over the church right now. I'm going to put this right here. What is shame? I know a lot of you have an idea, but uh, just so we don't take any chances, we'll start off real light. The, the dictionary.com says it's a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the awareness of wrongdoing or foolish behavior. Carl Jung said, shame is a vicious soul-eating emotion, All right? Whether you agree with Jung on that, that's a, that's a pretty accurate statement. Researcher, one of my favorites, researcher um, Brene Brown from the University of Houston says, shame is the swampland of the soul. Now, the, the subject of shame is found, is prevalent throughout Scripture. Um, it's mostly found in the wisdom literature. Uh, if you go in the Old Testament, you'll in the Proverbs, the Psalms, Ecclesiastes, uh, all kind of references to shame. In the writings of the major prophets like Isaiah and with the weeping prophet Jeremiah, uh, so much shame and tears, and other prophets that, that saw the sin of Israel and they saw they were heading into exile. 
The writings of David when he was uh, in sin, the times when he was hiding from Saul. In uh, Psalm 31, David said, Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I have cried out to you, but let the wicked be put to shame and be silent in the realm of the dead. Of course, if you want to go back to the origin of shame, you can literally go back to the genesis of shame, go back to the book of Genesis chapter 3. We see that this is Adam's and Eve's first response to the awareness and to the gravity of their sin. What did they do? They felt shame, and they what? They hid from God. They traded in the beautiful gift of naked intimacy for the painfully self-aware determination to hide from the very God who wanted to be close to them. And here we are, the New Testament era, thousands of years later, and here we are still hiding from God because we are beset with so much shame. Now, in order to understand what shame is, I, it's probably good to clarify what shame is not. Um, shame often gets confused with guilt, doesn't it? Now, even though they are related, they are two very separate conditions. Now, I'll just kind of keep it uh, very general. If you want a little more in-depth analysis of shame, you can talk to uh, Jennifer Ripley or Pastor Neil. But in general, this is the difference between guilt and shame. It's important for us as a church to realize that. Because you don't want to leave guilt behind. You know why? Because guilt is a good thing. Guilt, the Holy Spirit comes and speaks through your conscience to convict you of sin. All right, that's guilt. Here's shame. The enemy of your soul comes in and condemns you for who you are. Right? Guilt says, I made a mistake. I'm guilty. Shame says, I, I am a mistake. Guilt says, I feel guilty for what I've done. Where shame says, I feel horrible about who I am. Guilt says, things can be made right once again. But shame says, I am unworthy of forgiveness or even a second chance. See the big difference between the two? Guilt is an awareness that you fell short of an objective standard, like a law or a statute or a precept. You fell short of that. You feel guilty as charged, right? But shame It's a sense of failure in the eyes of someone that perhaps you hold very dear. You see, shame is very relational at its core. And that's why it is so damaging, because it damages relationships vertically and relationships horizontally. Shame is insidious like that. If you've ever seen um, one of the the greatest animated movies of all time called Despicable Me... um, there is, there, is, there is a great scene. You can show uh, the next slide there. Uh, there's a scene where three orphan girls, right, they are, uh, they are hoping to be adopted. And so while they're waiting to be adopted, um, the head of the orphanage, who's very Dolores Umbridge-like, if you know who that is, she sends them out to sell orphanage cookies, you know, so, you know, to uh, raise money for the orphanage and probably, uh, you know, she probably skimmed some off the top. And so the three girls come back. They sold all of these cookies, but they didn't meet their quota. And she says, girls, the next time you don't meet your quota, you're going to spend all weekend in the box of shame. And so they're like, no, we don't want that. So they start walking back to the room and there's a little girl named Denise in there. And she's like, they're like, hey, Denise. And she just looks out. She's like, hey, guys. So sad. It is really humorous, but when you understand in your own life that, man, I, I live in that box of shame, all of a sudden, it's not so funny after all, is it? Um, so here's the thing. There are many reasons why people feel like they're, they feel the perpetual sting of shame or they feel trapped in this box. 
of emotional, spiritual, relational, and psychological pain, shame makes us feel so dirty, doesn't it? It makes you feel dirty. So, so, so some shame, here's, shame comes in different ways, in two primary ways. Shame comes sometimes because of something that we did, right? And sometimes it comes as a result of things done to us, all right? So um, the things we do, sometimes it's even by choice, sometimes it's by accident. Sometimes we make mistakes and, and we, we get shame heaped upon us, but it is because of our actions. And again, other times we were just completely victimized by someone or something or circumstance from the outside. Do you know the difference? Do you know how Jesus views those two different kinds of shame? Absolutely the same. He wants them gone. It doesn't matter how you've come to experience shame. No one, no child of God needs to have shame in their lives. So I could keep it real theoretical and real general and milk toasty, right? Or we could get a little more real this morning. So I'm going to list some reasons why in this church, perhaps, we feel that we have shame hanging over us, prohibiting us from running the race well. Some of you might feel shame because of past rejection from someone or from a group of people. Others because of an instant or instances of public humiliation or failure. Some of you have uh, shame issues because of body image. Maybe you have a body that's scarred, injured, disabled, overweight, underweight. Maybe uh, you are a victim of long-term neglect. Maybe you grew up feeling insignificant and invisible. Maybe you've had addiction to drugs or alcohol. Maybe you had uh, perpetual face perpetual unemployment, or maybe you've gone bankrupt. Maybe you haven't been able to live up to self-imposed standards of perfectionism that you've placed on yourself, and you beat yourself up for that. You know, in the church, if you're divorced or an unwed parent, hmm, you may be feeling shame. Some of you have been struggling with ongoing anxiety and depression, and that can lead to shame. Uh, in the church, I remember talking to someone that uh, a student, and it wasn't at this church, um, but it could be someone that has feelings of same-sex attraction. They never acted out on it, but in the church, they realize, boy, if they breathe the word of that, they're going to get a whole dump truck full of shame on them, and that is horrible. And uh, some people actually get caught in sexual sin, like adultery or porn addiction. Uh, some have had an abortion. Let me just say this, there is no, there's some kind of vicious level of shame that accompanies sexual sin like no other. A lot of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And finally, some of you might have been a victim of some past abuse or trauma and, and fight, feel like you're always in the box of shame. Those are real enough for you because that's the world we live in, you know, and that happens to people in the church and outside of it. So why is shame so toxic? Why do we leave it behind? I don't want to belabor this point because I think it's almost pretty obvious already. Because unlike guilt, shame attacks us, again, at the very core of who we are and cripples us from running the race that God has set out for us. So here's, here's the simple fact. Everyone here is a child of God. You are worthy to run this race. You got it? You are worthy to run it. However, a lot of you are incapable to do that well because shame is dragging you down. You got that backpack on and it's full of it. I don't know if there's a better quote about shame than this one right here because of the visual that it will um, uh, express in your mind. 
Author Kirsty Eager says, shame isn't merely a quiet gray cloud over your head. Rather, it is a drowning man who claws his way on top of you, scratching and tearing at your skin while pushing you back under the surface. That, my friends, is shame. And you can see why it is difficult to run a race if you feel like that. We can't run the race while we are drowned in a pool of shame. We cannot run the race if we're trapped in a box of shame, feeling like we're left to rot both relationally and spiritually. You understand, you experience, you, you experience the inability to celebrate the joyful life in the kingdom when you choose to remain the only attendee of the pity party that you have invited yourself to. You understand that? I tell you, what, I'll be very real. Over um, just about 10 years ago when my family moved here, I went through a year in that box of shame, which is very foreign to me because I don't normally roll like that. I'm pretty steady Eddie, if, if anyone has known me for a length of time. And man, I, so I got that midlife crisis kind of thing happening. And uh, whew, God bless my wife for holding me up during that time and many others. But to constantly felt, feel that inward pull, like life is all about me, and I pushed everyone else away I was unable to run the race well, to enjoy life. It was miserable. I know some of you feel like that. I felt like I was shrinking back from life. But the writer of Hebrews, even two chapters earlier, you can show this slide, Hebrews 10.39 reminds us, we are not those who, are sh who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith, who rise up and preserve their souls. And the shame, here's the thing, the shame causes us to shrink back like Adam and Eve the fig leaves of shame recover ourselves because we don't want anyone to see who we really are. Oh, that would, be the, that would be the end of ourselves if anybody actually knew us. And what shame does is so insidious, it takes away hope that things will get better. Brene Brown said, shame corrodes the very part of us that believes that we are capable of change. I'll tell you what, if you've, if you've been in a bad part in life in any way, shape, or form, when shame or the enemy comes and lies to you and says, this is it. This is how life will go for you until you are six feet under. There's no possibility for change. That, my friends, that is a nightmare that, that people live when, when the enemy takes your hope away that there can be change. It has been said that shame is a lie that somebody told you about yourself. How many of you have ever listened to those lies? Here's the deal. Shame is a direct affront to our identity in Christ. That's why. That's why we got to get rid of it. Because when we become born again, Jesus says, you are forgiven. You are chosen. You are loved. You are righteous. Oh, yes, Lord, this is who I am. Yes, let's run that race. Then shame will come along and say, who do you think you are? You're not those things. I can't even believe you're lacing up your running shoes. Who are you to be running this race? You know that voice. How dare you think that you're worthy to be a co-laborer with Christ, to do what he's called you to do? That calling in your life, you are so not worthy of that. You know, this is the voice of shame that talks to us. I love what Catherine Walden says. She says, shame wants to keep you small. It wants you to be afraid of taking risks and I want you to be ashamed when a risk doesn't work out. You have the call of God in your life. You cannot afford to listen to any voice that keeps you small. Jesus wants, wants you to be big in him. 
Jesus is calling us to a big life, to, act, to perform small and great acts of love and grace and mercy. And so you have those voices, an invitation to Jesus to live big. And shame is trying to keep you small. Sometimes those boxes of shame aren't very big because we get so small, little shoebox. Bloop, you're covered, right? Shame makes us small. And Jesus, that's why we have to get that back. Because if you want to run and get big, have big strides for the kingdom, whew, you need to listen to the voice of Jesus, not the voice of the liar. So finally, how do we leave it behind? How do we do that? I wish, there was a, I, wish I could just come and say, Jesus gave me an a, a anti-shame magic wand. Go and be shameless, right? But... There are, there are a lot of ways. Let me just suggest two. Look for friendship and look to Jesus. All right? I'll explain that. Look for friendship. Here's the deal. Shame thrives in three different conditions. Silence, secrecy, and judgment. Silence, secrecy, and judgment. So if you have the shame, you live in silence. Other people know about it, but you don't talk about the elephant in the swampland of the soul, right? You don't do that. In secrecy, you keep your own secrets to yourself, all right? We don't, shh, we don't talk about that. You guys have family dynamics like that? Like, mm, we don't talk about that. And then judgment, because you judge yourself. You have this imagination that God is judging you, and you know that everyone else is judging you, especially if they're in the church with religious people. You know they're wagging their fingers at you. So that is why relationships, friendships are so crucial. Because if you find friends that you can trust, friends of empathy, friends that won't judge you, friends that aren't going to be there to lecture you or just give you all this advice, friends are like, just come here. I love you and accept you for who you are, regardless of what you've done or regardless of what has been done to you. Those, those friends that will come alongside, they'll listen to you. Judgment-free and be the hands and feet of Jesus. I'm telling you, those, those people are probably not as plentiful as we would like, but I tell you, they are out there. There are men and women in this church, and they are gold mines for you if you would just come out and be vulnerable. So here are the words. Because shame affects relationships, they affect relationships. That's why vulnerability and listening, trusting, connectedness, these are the keys to throwing off that shame because we are never meant to do it alone, never meant to do it alone. Well, is it risky to be vulnerable and, and, and show, share your shameful secrets? Uh, yeah. But you know what happens if you don't take that risk? Nothing. Nothing will change. Nothing will change, and that is a guarantee. That's why uh, James says, confess your sins and your brokenness to one another, that you might be what? Healed. Thank you, James, for that. Look for friendship, and two, look to Jesus. Let's go back to our original passage in Hebrews 12 too. When, we, when, we, when Steve and I talked about this passage, I didn't even realize at first that it actually, in Hebrews 12 too, it actually had addressed the actual topic of shame. Like, wow, thank you, Lord. So here we go. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Other translations say despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What does it mean that Jesus scorned or despised the shame of the cross? Remember, the cross to us right now, this cross is a 
you just see the cross, and it's an image of hope, redemption, peace, joy, you name all the beautiful stuff in Scripture. That cross means those things, but did not always mean that, did it? During the time of uh, the Romans, when they invented crucifixion, they did not have any of those words in mind, I guarantee you. You know what words they had in mind? Pain, humiliation, abandonment, nakedness, mockery. That's what the cross meant. So when Jesus had to go to the cross, he was not going to a, he was not going to be hung on an icon of redemption, right, in other people's eyes. Jesus had to redeem that whole notion of what the cross means. So he had shame come and stare him in the face. So we need to learn, Jesus is our forerunner. Again, we're all running on the race of faith. Jesus, the scripture says, is our forerunner. He went before, so how did Jesus run? Well, we should probably run like that. When Jesus faced shame, what did he do? He despised it. He scorned it. He took away its power. What I love is, um, what you think of Jesus talking to shame? I was just trying to unpack a little bit, and I came across this beautiful paraphrase by, uh, by a pastor and author John Piper. And uh, he, kind of, he kind of took on the personification, what would Jesus say to shame? So I was going to read that for you, but I thought I was going to have somebody that acts like Jesus and looks a lot more Jesus like than I do. That's why I asked Jonathan Zook. We don't have JC, but we do have JZ. So Jonathan, come on up. And so you, so you guys here, out here, you guys are shame for the moment, all right? And Jesus is talking to you. So Jesus, what would you say to shame? Uh, the shame of the cross. Listen to me, shame. Do you see that joy in front of me? Compared to that, you are less than nothing. You are not worth comparing to that. I despise you. You think you have, you have power. Compared to the joy before me, you have none. Joy, joy, joy. That is my power. Not you, shame. You are worthless. You are powerless. You think you can distract me? I won't even look at you. I have divine joy set before me and an eternal love to those who are lost in darkness. So why would I even look at you? You are ugly and despicable. You are almost finished. You cover me now as with a shroud. Before you can say, so there, I will throw you off like a filthy rag. And I will put on my royal robe. Mm. Farewell, shame. It is finished. Mm. Yes, thank you, brother. And because he scorned and despised that shame that faced him, he is more and ready to help you despise and scorn the shame that faces us. Just like he did for the woman caught in adultery, just like he did for the woman, the prostitute that poured perfume on Jesus' feet, just like he did for Peter when he denied Jesus three times, and just like he did for a young woman named Julissa. Oh, thank you, Lord. For those of you who feel that you are trapped in that box of shame or, or having just a great amount of difficulty running that race that God has laid out for you. I want to remind you of one last thing before we go today. There are many Hebrew names that God has. Some of you were familiar with Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides. Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Here's one that is lesser known. But it is also a powerful name that Jalisa learned that boasts of the grace of God. The name is Rumrash. 
And it means simply the one who lifts my head. When David was feeling crushed with shame and utterly defeated, he referred to God as Rumrash. When he penned Psalm 3.3, David wrote, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are say, saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me. You are my glory. and You are the lifter of my head. Uh, my wife gave me permission to share this story. It goes back uh, 21 years, right after we were married, and I was not expecting, right after our honeymoon, uh, to have to deal with such a heavy spiritual attack on my family. My wife just got covered in shame, and it was hard for her to get out of it. She was in that pity party. She was in the, she was in the box. She had the man clawing at her, putting her under. Like, Lord, I didn't know how to deal with this. You know, I, this is like post-honeymoon. I thought marriage is supposed to be fun and easy, right? Um, and so I remember one particular time that I was trying to minister to Tina, and she would not, she was incapable of looking up at me. She just couldn't do it. The shame was so heavy upon her. And the Holy Spirit said to me, lift up her head. So I put my hands under her chin and so I do it, and she was fighting me. I was fighting shame. Shame was pushing her head down. It was spiritual warfare 101. The Lord said, lift her head up. And so lifted her head up, was able to look into the window of her soul's, her eyes, and speak life to her as tears ran down her face. I thought, I never, never forgot that. Because he is our glory and the lifter of our heads. So let God free you. You know the posture of shameful defeat. You know the posture like this, the head down. The good reminders we leave today that according to Psalm 3.3, that the, the God is a shield around you. So for those of you that have to open up to be vulnerable, boy, that's risky, isn't it? Just remember, God's shield will provide a safe space for you to come out, not to cast your pearls before swine. You don't just, you don't post that on Facebook. Please don't. All right. You find trusted friends. You put that out there and say, Lord, make connection. Lord, I don't want the shame. And we do this together in, in the community of Christ. He is your shield and he is your glory. It's interesting in Romans 1, he talked about the rebellious. He said their glory is in their what? And their shame. And it's just like the redemptive God to take the shame, turn it around, and use it for his glory. Amen. And he is the lifter of your head. He is the destroyer of shame. And he's inviting us to run this race, not as small, trapped people drowning in the pool of shame, but ones that are free to run with him the race that he has set out before us. Amen. And before we pray, let me just say there's a ministry that many of you have in here. The Lord will use you to come alongside to be the lifter of other people's heads. You are that safe space. You are the hands and feet of Jesus. You are the empathizers that say, come to the no judgment zone. Let me just love you for who you are. And let's help throw off this shame for good. Amen. Uh, would you stand with me so we can pray? Father God, I... I just come to you, even as, even as altar ministers come up, uh, if you are an altar minister, if you would just come up and pray with the folks after the service here as we close. Father, we just come to you now. 
Lord, I knew this put on my heart, and I knew that, uh, God, even through personal experience and through knowing some of the stories of those people in this church, I wish we could say that we were, this was a shame-free church, but that would not be truthful. Oh, but it can be. Lord, I thank you that you are inviting us to run this race with you. And I pray for all of the ones here that know that they need to leave distracting, toxic, and sinful things behind. Lord, today, starting with shame. So, Lord, we ask that your spirit would rise up like that roaring lion, Uh, the lion of the tribe of Judah. We are ones that don't shrink back, but we are the ones that rise up and are saved. And with that spirit-inspired voice, that they would be able to speak to shame uh, like Jesus spoke to the shame on the cross. Lord, we thank you that with your sword, you are the breaker of these chains of shame. Lord, you are the box cutter that will cut open these boxes of shame. Lord God, you have a life raft to to throw out to those who are drowning in the waters of shame. And you're pulling us all in and you want to set us free that we may run this race for your glory. Lord, give us grace to leave these things behind, starting, Lord, particularly with those today that have been encumbered with shame. And we thank you that the the days of shame are numbered on the lives and the hearts and the swampland of the souls of the people of Kempsville Presbyterian Church. Oh, we love you, Lord. We thank you that you love us too much to let us stay trapped in our shame. Thank you for being the forerunner that showed us mm, how to take authority and put shame in its rightful place. Oh, we love you, Lord. We need you. Come, Holy Spirit, and do your deep work. Mm, Not just in this service, but as, as they leave and go out, that this battle that continues to rage, Lord, will be won. Lord God, one day at a time. Thank you, oh God. You are the glory and you are the lifter of our heads. We love you and we trust you to bring us in on this race, removing the fig leaves of our shame that we we may run in intimacy with you and with the brothers and sisters around us. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the KPC Podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.